Hi, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of Recovery Road, the intersection of life and sobriety. I am your host, Jareth Rossman. Man, I'm excited to be here. This podcast has been a dream of mine for a couple of years now, so to finally be releasing this first episode really is a dream come true. On today's episode, I want to touch on a few points. First, I want to give you an introduction into myself and how I got to the point in life to where I wanted to release a podcast regarding all things related to alcoholism, addiction, recovery, sobriety, and how it all ties back to really being the best version of you. Secondly, I want to touch on the purpose and mission of the podcast. For me, this is the most critical component of my work, and I think it's important for me to take some time and explain the reasoning behind that. And lastly, I want to briefly talk about the ethos or spirit of the podcast. There's a quote by the Chinese philosopher Confucius that I think explains it perfectly, and that quote is this, Every person has two lives, but the second one starts when they realize they only have one. And I want you to really think about that quote and what it means to you, because later in the episode, I'm going to take some time to explain what it means to me and why I think it so accurately represents me, the podcast, and really recovery in general. So to explain a little about myself and how I got to this point, I want to go back to this exact day five years ago. It was August 26, 2016. It was a Friday afternoon. And while most people were heading home from work or preparing for the weekend, I was just waking up from a nap. Now, as I stood up from my nap, my body completely froze and I immediately fell back on the couch. I couldn't move my legs, my arms, my feet. All of my muscles went completely stiff. Even my mouth wouldn't move. My body was in complete shock and I had no idea what was happening. I just knew something was seriously wrong. And to give some context into that exact moment, I'm going to rewind 30 days before that day and give you all an idea of what my life had become. To say I had hit rock bottom would be a drastic understatement. So at that point in my life, I was consuming a gallon or two handles of vodka every single day. I had been drinking every day for about 12 months and the consumption amount progressively got worse. I mean, I was always a heavy drinker when I partied, but this was in another stratosphere comparatively. I could no longer take care of myself, so my mom had moved into my house at that point. She didn't know about my drinking, and that probably sounds crazy, but there's so many ways to hide it. Vodka is clear, and it mixes with everything. Trust me, I would know. I was mixing it with coffee, papaya juice, milk. I didn't care. Whatever I had to do to minimize getting caught. But mainly at that point, I was drinking it out of hidden bottles or straight over ice so it looked like water. I mean, she had suspicions, but no actual proof. I was having numerous medical issues, mainly related to my gastro system. So my mom was also taking me to my many doctor's appointments on a weekly basis the doctors didn't know what was wrong with me, mainly because they also didn't know about my minor drinking problem, and I'm hoping you just caught the sarcasm in my voice. They just kept running more tests, trying to figure out the problem. I was no longer eating food. I would consume a spoonful of whatever my mom made that day, 
but I could no longer keep food down, so the only food or drink I was actually consuming at that point was vodka. I was no longer going to work. I had to file for short-term disability because I could no longer function as a normal human being. My day consisted of laying on the couch, listening to podcasts, and consuming as much vodka as humanly possible while going in and out of consciousness. God, that sounds horrible. I was no longer answering calls or texts, paying bills, getting any type of exercise. I was literally only existing to drink vodka. I really didn't understand it fully at the time, but all I knew was that my mind and body didn't function at all if it didn't have vodka. Rarely did I sleep. I mean, I would close my eyes for an hour here and there, but it wasn't true sleep. And as soon as my eyes opened, I had to immediately get to the vodka. Now, all of this may sound crazy to you or not, but this is what my life had become. And at that point, I no longer wanted to live. I wasn't to the point of taking my own life, but I would have been perfectly okay with never waking up again, which is really crazy to think about today. So now that you understand how well things were going for me at that time, let's fast forward 30 days back to August 26th. As I fell back onto the couch with my body in complete shock, my mom immediately began to panic. And here's why. That morning, I had two medical procedures done an endoscopy, or in layman's terms, a scope of the esophagus, and I also had an ultrasound. Now for the scope, they actually administered anesthesia. The reason this is important is because I couldn't consume any food or liquids after 12 a.m. that morning, and I knew that this would be a huge problem. The reason being, as I mentioned before, I was drinking all day every day. If I went an hour or more without vodka, I would start to noticeably shake, experience extreme anxiety, and become severely lightheaded. It felt like at any moment my body was going to just shut off and it would be all over. I wouldn't wish that feeling of all three of those at the same time on anyone. I try to put it into words how horrible that feeling truly was, but never quite do it justice. In an oddly unique way, though, I am blessed that my alcoholism had gotten to that point. But more on that later. Now, at the time in my life, vodka minimized all three of those feelings for me. So the one thing that can make me feel better is also the one thing that is killing me. What kind of freaking best friend is that? I mean, thanks, dude. So back to the problem. I couldn't have vodka after 12 a.m. because of the anesthesia, and I knew that I wouldn't be done with those procedures until about noon the next day, which would be a full 12 hours or so without vodka. So I distinctly remember at 12 a.m. I drank all the vodka in my house, and at that time I hoped it would somehow carry me through. And I also devised an elaborate plan of how I would get more vodka after finishing all of the procedures since I just drank all the vodka I had in the house. Conundrum, I know. I had this wild plan of how I would get my mom to drive me straight to the store after the medical procedures. I was going to tell her I needed Pedialyte. I would buy the Pedialyte and two handles of vodka. Now, the two handles of vodka she couldn't know about. So I was going to somehow sneak those into the gym shorts I was wearing. And remember, she would be in the driver's seat and I would be in the passenger seat. 
Hey, no big deal, Mom. Don't worry about these two huge half-gallon vodka bottles in my shorts. Just keep driving. It makes me laugh to think about it today, but it also gives you a look at the insanity of alcoholism. Now back to that morning. It was brutal. I was sweating and shaking most of the morning, waiting to go into the procedure, and I just kept thinking, what has my life become? Now there's good news and bad news. The good news is that I made it through both procedures. The bad news is that the anesthesia made me feel so good, I never made it to the store to get the vodka. I ended up napping on the couch. And the reason that is bad news is because my body went into severe delirium tremens from having no alcohol in my system for almost 15 hours at that point. It had probably been 9 months, maybe 12 since my body had gone that long without alcohol. Now, I want to take a minute to explain delirium tremens and the severity of detoxing off of alcohol without medical supervision, and hopefully it will give you a glimpse into what I was experiencing. So delirium tremens, or DTs as they're known, cause a drastic shift in the brain and nervous system. So what happens is the brain can no longer send the correct signals to the rest of the body, Drinking alcohol depresses the brain. This is why alcohol is called a depressant. So when we're drunk, our brain slows down. As a result, the nervous system slows down as well. Once we detox and alcohol leaves our system, the nervous system speeds back up, resulting in the shaking. That's why you may see your hands shaking the day after a long day or night of drinking, alcoholic or not. Along with shaking, DTs can also cause severe seizures during this time. The reason being, the detox process sends the whole body into shock. Of course, this shock is a problem because our organs depend on signals to tell them what to do. If our organs fail to receive the proper signals, they are unable to operate correctly. In the worst case scenario, the heart is unable to pump properly so blood stops flowing and the lungs stop taking in air, which can cause the brain to start to fail, or even worse, the heart, which can ultimately lead to death. I mean, who really knew all this could happen from excessive alcohol consumption? I surely didn't. I mean, I was intimately familiar with the headaches, the blackouts, the vomiting, and the wanting to crawl in a hole and never come out because you can't remember any of the embarrassing things you did and said the night before. But once your body is chemically dependent, you're in a totally different league of consequences. Okay, enough about that. I think you get the point. Back to August 26th. So I'm on the couch without the ability to move or talk, and my mom is in a complete panic. She thinks I'm having a reaction from the anesthesia, and I have no idea what to think, nor do I really have the ability to do so. So she calls the doctor's office, but they're gone for the day. The nurses on staff recommended getting me to the hospital immediately. Now, I don't remember much about that car ride. What I do remember is getting to the hospital and not being able to get out of the car. They had to lift me into a wheelchair and roll me to check in. I also remember not being able to get my wallet out to provide my insurance card because I still had zero control of my body's movement. So not only could I not move, But everyone was staring at me like that one time I had to walk around for a month without my two front teeth because of a little incident on Bourbon Street. It was bad. 
And I was honestly getting really scared at that point. Now, after some time, they get me into a room and start running tests. They wanted to do x-rays, but I couldn't walk, much less get out of the bed, so they had to roll my entire bed through the hospital to get to x-rays. I have never felt lower in life than in that moment. I had lost all control, figuratively and literally. After a couple of hours of x-rays and tests, the doctor walks in and says, Ma'am, your son isn't having a reaction to anesthesia. He's going through extreme alcohol withdrawals. In that exact moment, I wanted to pull the covers over my face so I would become invisible like I thought used to happen when I was four years old. Unfortunately for me, I still couldn't move my arms. So yep, there it is. Secrets out. Hey mom, I'm a raging alcoholic. Now, try to imagine being my mom in that exact moment. At this point, it's almost midnight and she's finding out that all my issues over the last few months and today stem from one source, alcohol. On top of that, the hospital is saying I need medical supervision due to the severity of my withdrawals, but I can't stay there overnight. They wanted her to find a treatment facility that night which was basically an impossible task at that point. Anyways, they send me home with medication to get me through the night and next morning. When I wake up the next morning, I was actually feeling pretty good. Little had I known, my parents had secured a beautiful 34-day stay at a treatment center in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana, while I was sleeping, and we were leaving in an hour or so. Needless to say, after what some would call a heated discussion, I gave in and agreed. Now, this is where I'm going to end this story for now. There are so many other stories related to my 34 days in treatment and my additional 90 days in a sober living home, but I'm going to save those for later episodes. What I do want you to know is since that day on August 26, 2016, I haven't put a drop of alcohol in my body nor any type of drug or narcotic. Well, you know, except the occasional Advil because I'm 37 years old with the back of an 80-year-old, basically. So this brings me to my second point mentioned in the beginning of the episode, the purpose and mission of the podcast. I think both of those are fluid at this point and will continue to evolve over time. But in this moment, I have two primary missions. First, I want to help as many alcoholics, addicts, or anyone struggling with a similar mental disorder as possible. People talk a lot about finding their purpose in life. I guess you can say mine sort of fell in my lap. I know without a doubt that I was put here on this earth to try and help as many alcoholics as possible. I would be doing an injustice to the alcoholic community if I didn't use my story to help others. And this isn't a look at me and look what I've accomplished or done. This is a look at me and let's inspire hope. Because if I can make the changes and crawl out of the rock bottom pit that I was in, then there's hope for anyone and everyone. Now I'm going to be honest. The selfish side of me also plays a role in this mission. I have a burning passion to help as many people as possible because there's a feeling you get when you help someone that can't be bought or manufactured. And for me, there's no better feeling. The emotions and excitement I feel when talking to someone about recovery 
give me chills right now just talking to you about it. So, now that you know I want to help people and the why behind it, what about the how? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have an actionable solution that has worked for me over the past five years, and I want to share that with as many people as possible. I know for certain that if you want to make the changes, put in the effort, and follow my plan, you can get better. But, full disclosure, if you are seeking to make changes because somebody wants you to, then your chances for success are minimal. You have to want it for yourself, and if you do, you can't even begin to imagine how rewarding the life waiting for you will be. So, a few minutes ago, I mentioned two primary missions. Now that I've explained the first, I want to touch on the second. And I really should call it 1B because to me, it's just as important. So, what's as important as helping people? Well, to me, raising awareness is just as critical as the actual help itself. And here's why. Let's say you and I are acquaintances and we grab lunch. I ask you how you've been, how's life, and you may share with me that your mom or close loved one was recently diagnosed with cancer, and so you're dealing with the doctor's appointments and the chemo and just the overall emotional roller coaster. Now, what you're rarely going to tell me is that your mom is a raging alcoholic and you've tried everything, but you don't know what to do at this point. And that's a problem. How are we supposed to get people the help they need if it's still considered taboo to talk about it openly? And I don't care what anyone says. Alcoholism and addiction are mainly discussed behind closed doors. The reason I know that is because nobody randomly offers that information to me, but when I explain my story to them, almost every time that person tells me how they've been impacted by alcoholism or addiction. And it's not a distant third cousin or a distant high school friend. It's usually a mom, a brother, sister, child, or best friend. And many times I've realized that the biggest problem is that the family doesn't have the guidance or knowledge on where to turn to get them the proper help. Think about my mom. She had no idea what to do in that moment. The hospital gave her a list of about 20 facilities, but she didn't know much about the whole process. She was learning as she went. My point being, we have to do a better job of raising awareness and bring alcoholism and addiction to the forefront. Think about it like this. Some people call it a disease. Some people don't. I'm not here to debate that. You call it what you want. I can make arguments for both. But what I am here to tell you is that it is the one sickness that you can 100% survive or beat if you're willing to make the necessary changes. I mean, to me, that's incredible odds. You can't say that about many fatal diseases. There's another huge benefit regarding awareness. When you raise awareness, people have a better understanding of how and where to get help. When alcoholics get help, something changes inside of them at some point in the process And they experience that burning desire to help others. So you're just creating a small army of people like me that want to help as many people as possible. Not only that, but you get a better employee, spouse, family member, and just overall better person on the back end. So why wouldn't we want to at least try? 
There's a paradigm shift in your perspective on life that I think can only be experienced through a limited number of scenarios. So when you hit rock bottom or stare death in the face and survive to tell about it, I think you experience that shift. And that is the perfect segue into my third point, the ethos or spirit of the podcast. Now, I mentioned a quote at the beginning of the episode, and I'm going to repeat it again. And that quote is, Every person has two lives, but the second one starts when they realize they only have one. I asked you to think about that quote and what it means to you. This quote has been the credence of my life for the last five years. So, let me tell you what it means to me. And honestly, this quote says many things to me. First, it says that we only get one life and one opportunity to make it the best life possible. We don't get to come back and have a redo. So why would I not spend each day pursuing that idea? Go and start that business. Pursue that lifelong dream. Take the risk. I never want to look back 30 years from now, if I make it that long, and think, man, I really wish I would have done X, Y, and Z. Secondly, pursuing the best life possible is only possible if I am the best version of myself each and every day. And that's what this podcast is all about. What can you do each and every day to try to be the best version of you? Because I know when I'm the best version of me, I don't need alcohol or drugs or food or any other undesirable coping mechanism to deal with life's challenges. And I maximize my abilities to face all of the obstacles we are presented each day. If I want to be the best version of me, Alcohol and drugs are only getting in the way of that at this point. The hangovers, the bad decisions, the health issues are only going to negatively impact mine and your pursuit of being the best version of ourselves. Now look, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes and I may not always make the best decisions, but I can say that each day I am almost perfect at achieving what I call the daily five. The Daily Five is the plan I created and follow every single day in pursuit of being the best version of me. Now, you're probably wondering, what in the heck is the Daily Five? And that's a great question, but you're going to have to tune into episode two where I give an overview of the Daily Five. If you've made it this far, I want to sincerely thank you for listening. My goal is to release a new episode each week where I discuss all things related to recovery and having what I like to call a life worth living. In the future, I hope to have guests that have similar stories of inspiration. So if you know of anyone, please don't hesitate to contact me at jareth at recoveryroadpodcast.com. And I'm going to spell that for you. It's jareth, J-A-R-E-T-H, at R-E-C. O-V-E-R-Y-R-O-A-D-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Also, if there's anyone listening that would like to submit a question to be answered on a future episode, please email me at that same address, jareth at recoveryroadpodcast.com. And lastly, if there's anyone you know that you think I can help, please, please, please do not hesitate to reach out. Again, thank you for joining me on today's episode. If you've enjoyed the episode, please do me a huge favor and subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, and leave an honest comment on your way out. 
Thanks again, everyone, and I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Recovery Road, the intersection of life and sobriety.